Thanks for listening to the podcast of First Alliance Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. For more information about our church or to watch a video recording of today's message, visit us online at facws.org. I invite you to keep your scriptures open to Luke chapter 9. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? I watched Captain America yesterday. Have you ever seen that movie? At the beginning of the movie, Steve Rogers, who will become Captain America, is actually this kind of scrubby individual. He's he's very uh, short and very skinny, and he gets rejected five times from the U.S. military from wanting to join up during World War II. But the doctor who would otherwise recognize in him some other personality traits knew that he could make him a, a stronger human being, change his body, So he wanted the attributes of positivity that he thought would make for a good super soldier. And there's this memorable scene where Steve Rogers, again, scrawny, skinny, asthmatic, can't keep up with the other big, strong soldiers that he's training with, uh, is training with these big men, and, and the commander who's in charge of his training pulls the pin on a grenade in order to test their character and tosses it in the crowd. And uh, all the other men flee, go hide behind a truck, duck and cover. Steve Rogers is the only one who collapses on the grenade and curls around it and tells everybody to get back. And it's a test of character in that moment. Who was willing to lay down their life for the other soldiers versus who wanted in that moment merely to save themselves? That's our typical thinking when it comes to this passage. And it's not necessarily wrong to think in that way. So I don't want you to disabuse yourself of the notion that self-sacrifice is necessary for the Christian life. After all, last week I just preached that taking up your cross daily was an indicator that someone was carrying around a Roman torture instrument that was used for execution or something like taking up your electric chair daily and following, your, your, uh, following around with it. But I think in this passage, there's a connection that is a little bit broader to the rest of Scripture that really boils down to one simple point. So I'm really just going to give you a one-point sermon today, and then I'm going to apply it. And that point is this, that losing your life for the sake of Christ is recognizing the fact that you are dead, and either accepting that you are dead in Christ or waiting until it is too late. What do I mean by that? 
Recall that Jesus just made a promise in the passage right before. In verse 21, he says, He strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. You see, in the, in the book of Revelation, we are given a picture of a judgment that is to occur in verse chapter 20, verse 11 of Revelation. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, and from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. And Hades and death gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And death and Hades themselves were thrown into the lake of fire, the second death. But anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And that opens the question... How does one get their name written in the book of life? All of the dead here are being judged according to what they have done. And we know from the rest of the balance of Scripture that there is none righteous, not even one, that every single person who has ever walked the face of the earth will be found wanting in that day of judgment, will be found unclean, impure, and unacceptable when it comes to the great white throne judgment. If you're painting a room white and you open the can of paint and there's only the thinnest streak of black oil that has gotten into that paint and mingled in with it, it is sufficient to discard the entire can of paint because you know it will tint the wall that you subsequently paint. And so it is with each one of us. There is no sufficient good deed that we can do that is enough to gain entrance into the Lamb's book of life. So that opens the question, how do we gain entrance into the Lamb's book of life? How do we have our name written in it? And there's only one way. And of course, you're thinking, Jesus, right? There was a man teaching Sunday school at my old church, and and, uh, and all the answers were Jesus, right? And, and they were going through the animals of creation. They were talking about creation. And the teacher said, what has four legs, a fuzzy tail, and likes to scurry up trees? And a little kid raised his hand and said, I don't know, but is it Jesus? Because we always think the answer is Jesus. And you'd be right, except not all the way right. Specifically, and this is the tension, the irony of the Christian faith The only way into the Lamb's book of life is through identifying with the death of Jesus. The only way for your name to be written in the Lamb's book of life is for you to already be dead in Christ. Let me take you through a little bit of journey. Don't stop believing. No, not that journey. A journey in the Bible. Romans chapter 6, Paul says, Do you not know, 6 verse 3, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized 
into his death. We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, just as you receive Christ the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in faith, just as you were taught. Don't be captured by vain philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is your rule and authority. In him you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Buried with him in baptism. In Hebrews I'll summarize for you because it's a very long passage, but in chapter 10, the author of Hebrews, who most assumed to be Paul, but we don't know exactly, talks about how there was necessary a once-for-all sacrifice made for sins because all of the little sacrifices that were being repeatedly made for sins were insufficient, a picture of what was to come. And he says, therefore, brothers, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. He says, but if we keep sinning deliberately after receiving the truth, there is no sacrifice for sins, but an expectation of judgment. It is in the sacrifice, the identity with the being slain, in the blood itself, that we achieve our freedom from sin. So the simple theological point of this sermon is that when we read, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it, is that that is just a simple recognition of the fact that to walk the Christian life is to recognize that you are dead. It's to think ahead to what it means to be dead. To lay down your life. And so let me draw a pragmatic application out of this. Just put simply this question. If you were to die today, what would matter in terms of the legacy that you leave with other people versus what are the things that we actually cling to in this life that define us? If you were to die tomorrow, do you know what would not matter to you anymore? The stock market. If you were to die, tomorrow morning the S&P 500 could shoot up 400 points and you wouldn't care. I promise you, if you were dead. If you were to die tomorrow, do you know what would no longer matter? Your 30-year collection of Hummel figurines. I used to work at a Carlton card store where we sold two things, both an abomination. One is gift cards. I don't like them. And then the second is collectibles. And people were crazy about their collectibles. 
They would come in and say, well, you should have this uh, uh, hugging children figurine. It's, it, 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 we're supposed to have this. It's being shipped today, and that completes my, my collection. And they would yell at us if we didn't have the appropriate figurine. And then they would haggle price. You're in a nationwide gift card store chain, and somebody says, I'll give you 35 for that. You know, it wouldn't matter if you were to die tomorrow. Will you answer that question in your life? And then answer the opposite question, which matters even more significantly. What would matter if you were to die tomorrow? What would matter would be all the ways that you used your life for the glory of Christ in the lives of other people today. What would matter is the parts of you that you intentionally went ahead and killed before you died. A death before death. You laid down your pride, your anger, your jealousy, your hatred, your anxiety, your fears. You laid down your concern about talking with other people about things that you need to talk with them about because you're worried that they might think poorly of you or might get angry with you. All of a sudden, if you passed away in the morning, those people that you know you needed to talk to, it's no longer possible to do it. It's no longer possible to extend the forgiveness that you know you have to offer to those that have harmed you. It's no longer possible for you to seek the forgiveness that you know that you need to find it from other people. You see, when we think about this concept of death, and especially when we look at Revelation where we realize that everybody's dead and the only thing that matters in the judgment of God is what we've done and we all fail in that regard and so all that matters above that is that our names are in the book of life, we begin to recognize our own death now instead of the moment of our death and we intentionally slough off that which does not matter and we take up that which does matter. For what does it profit, verse 25, a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? Other translations and other verses will say his very soul. Because none of those things go with you. You know, recently they just opened up, this was like two weeks ago, opened up a, an Egyptian mummy. And of course the funny commentary was, come on, not in 2020. Have we not already done enough stuff to incur curses? We don't need to open up some 2,500-year-old tomb that's been sealed. But when you enter into those tombs, do you know what you find in there? Have you ever looked at the tombs and tombology and the study of these things? It's fascinating. Gold, silver, figurines, beloved pets that were still alive. And in many cases, servants that were still alive. In India, there is a practice that's still done in certain areas, although they're trying to eradicate it, where if a, a, an esteemed man or a priest dies, that his wife is burned on the pyre with his body. 
So eager are we to pave the way in gold to our next life that we try to fill this life with everything that we need. But isn't it like God sometimes to give us the example of the ungodly to recognize, boy, we need to realign ourselves. Let me give you an example of the ungodly that we could learn from. Elon Musk, the famous inventor, uh, billionaire, the one that the Iron Man movies kind of modeled the character off of, uh, invented um, uh, a lot of the online transactions that we use today with PayPal, has made the electric car Tesla, has a space company called SpaceX and a solar company uh, that is making solar all over the world. Billionaire inventor extraordinaire, right? He came out a couple months ago and said, I am selling all of my houses and all of my earthly possessions because I want to end my life on Mars and I am committing my entire life to that end. Nothing that I own matters compared to getting to Mars. You see, he's already died to this life. Not in accepting Christ, but in accepting a future that he thinks is a better future. We who have been guaranteed a better future... I read that to you out of Isaiah 35. You can read the very end of the book of Revelation where we're given a future city with no tears and no sorrow and no suffering and no dying, where the very presence of God illuminates our lives. We have that future, but we get so mired down in the now. The only cure for that is to go ahead and die. Not to die in the physical sense. Not to go take your life but to go ahead and recognize that you are dead in Christ. And so that life is gone. And whatever remains of it is only to be used for the purposes that God has set before you. It's not that these things are wrong, having money, having video games, having a television, it's not wrong to have a house and cars and, and, and a 401k, and, and it's not wrong if you're good at stocks, which let me tell you, I'm not. But if you are, to be able to, you know, gather money and expand it and do all that stuff, provided that the end goal is Christ and his glory and the kingdom and the things which really matter. And you see, Jesus didn't just tell us this. He lived it. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was a carpenter, but never built himself a house. You ever think about that? His house was purchased in heaven and has many rooms and was built by his death, by somebody else's carpentry in making a wooden hewn cross from which he would hang. So I ask you one question out of that one simple theological point, which is, have you laid down your life in Christ? Are you dead to who you were? You see, the promise that we're going to get to is that we are resurrected. Our, our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. We are free to walk in newness of life. When we baptize you in the water, we say, buried with Christ in baptism, rise to walk in newness of life. 
This, when we do it, is a picture of what you ought to experience in Christ. Water we view of as a washing. But you must understand in the context of the Old Testament, water was viewed as deadly. Swimming wasn't a thing back then. We tend to think of swimming as something that every culture for all time has just somehow known how to do. Modern swimming was only invented a few hundred years ago. If you fell off of a boat, you kind of flailed about and hoped that you got rescued and many people would lose their lives in the seas. That's why the seas are called a terror. They're called a place of darkness. They're mysterious. They're analogous to death. So to go into water intentionally and to be brought out of it was to die and come back in a new life. Not just a cleaning on the outside, but a completely new life. Well, we need to apply this. We're going to apply this now with just a couple of questions. You see, it's very easy to take up the Steve Rogers analogy. It's very easy, I think, to think if a grenade were thrown in here, yeah, I would I'd jump on that grenade. I would save everybody. I'm going to do it. Bonsai, you know, I'm going to land on that thing. I'm going to save all your lives. That's kind of this thought, especially men. I don't know if women do this, but I know a lot of men will like fantasize about the hero moment. You know, how am I going to save my family? You know, someone busts in and I'm going to save my family or, you know, I'm going to lay down my life. But dying now doesn't mean just fantasizing about the moments of question. When you're lined up against the wall with a gun pointed at your head and somebody says, do you believe in Jesus? And you say, yes, I do. And you're willing to lay down your life. Dying now means starting to scalpel off all those bits of dead flesh that you never really let go of the first time that you died. You see, it's very easy to say we'll lay down our life. It's very hard to lay down our pride now. It's very easy to lay down our life. In a grand sense, it's very hard to lay down our anxieties about this world. It's very hard to lay down our time addictions. You know, when I was growing up, we did a week without TV. Our whole church did it. We, we did a collective week without TV, and at the end of the week, we had a big celebration. And I won a duffel bag. I did. I was in the drawing, and I won a duffel bag. Television and watching videos on the Internet and playing video games and these sorts of things. Again, in small doses, not wrong. When used for the kingdom, definitely not wrong. But as an addiction of our time, it's literally sucking the life out of what we have left. Paul would write to the church in the book of Hebrews, as I mentioned earlier. And he would say, we need to hold fast to the confession that we have without wavering and consider how to stir each other up to love and good deeds. But then he would say, recall those days in your early faith when you endured a hard struggle. You were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes you helped out people that were being persecuted. And you had compassion on those that were in prison. You joyfully accepted 
the plundering of your property. Since you knew that you had a better possession and an abiding possession, therefore do not throw away your confidence. For we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who have faith and therefore preserve our souls. In every Christian life, there is a graph Initial faith and excitement, a leveling off period, maybe another growth, and then inevitably a period of decline and stagnation. And that stagnation can last years or even decades. And the temptation in that stagnation point is to ask the question, am I really loving Jesus? Does Jesus really love me? Is the Bible really true? Am I going to cling to the practices and the faith that I had in my first moment of excitement? And, and the author of Hebrews says, yes, that's exactly what you do. That's exactly what you do. You continue cutting off those bits of the old man, the dead flesh, that which you have already died to, but maybe you're still holding on to. Because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. None of us is going to perfect this. And that's why Jesus and Paul and really all the authors of Scripture will remind us to be patient with one another. To seek unity and love for one another. Because none of us is going to get this right. I used two phrases when I started off the, script, the scripture this morning. I don't know if you caught them. We live in the already and the not yet. We are already dead, but we are not yet finished dying. We are already dead to the old self, but we still got to kill it. We are already alive in Christ but we have to be shaped into his likeness each and every day. So we return back to the simple theological point. Have you died with Christ? Or have you just tried to wash the outside of your life? Because if you have not died to Christ, if you've only just tried to achieve something that looks like a follower of Jesus, well, the Bible says that you'll lose your soul. Go back to the simple thing Jesus says. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father's. Father and, and his holy angels. So if you have just washed yourself on the outside, tried to look better, but you're still clinging to that dead life on the inside, to that pride, that anger, that greed, those addictions, to the thing that you want to do, whatever that might be, you're not dead. You're not dead. You've got to lay that down on the altar, whatever it is, once and for all. If you are alive in Christ, but you're still clinging to those little bits, you're, the old southern term is backslidden. Take that scalpel and begin to recognize that that is already dead flesh. The clinging to it will only cause 
a kind of septic shock to the rest of your system that can prove deadly. Whenever you have a piece of you that dies, they have to get rid of it in surgery. That's how it works. Otherwise, as that skin begins to rot, what happens? You get an infection. You die. If you're alive in Christ, but you still have that dead bit of you that you're clinging to, now's the time to take the scalpel of the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit and excise that piece because it's already dead. You can't save it. Some things in your life that are redeemable in the lives of other people may not be redeemable in your life. There are those that could sit down and watch 30 minutes of television, receive the news, pray about it, and go to sleep fearlessly. There's others, and there's probably those in this very room, that turn on the news. Three and a half hours later, they've watched through three different television talking heads. Their heart is raised 20, 30 beats higher, and they're anxious, and then they can't go to sleep for another three hours. Don't be jealous of the first crowd if that's you. Just turn off the television and let it go. Some of you can eat one donut. How? <laughs> I can't. So for me, if I'm going to eat a donut, I know I'm going to eat three, and that's lunch. I don't even pretend anymore. Some of you can do certain kinds of ministries. Because you've been freed in Christ to do those things. And you don't feel tempted in certain ways. But others of you may feel like you were saved out of something, so that means you got to go right back into it and save those people. But you're not ready, and that temptation is going to drag you right back down to that place. And you got to find a new field to work in. Some of you are afraid that if you change, that people will hate you, that people won't love you anymore, that you will be alone. The only answer I have for that one is that's why the church exists. You see, if you're in this church and you have changes that you need to make that you think are going to make you alone and afraid and cast off from others in your life, we exist to be your family and your community. We've all been through it. You see, we've all had to die. The beautiful thing of the Christian experience is the commonality of it. Every person in this room will experience the fear and the anxiety of making a decision for the Lord that is difficult because we've all done it. And we had to dive back into this community to make it through it. So if you're on the cusp of having to make difficult decisions about your life and you're following after Jesus, if you need to die to something in your heart or in your life, and you don't know if you can do it, this is the place and these are the people that you do it with. And we'll hold your hand. We'll use a lot of hand sanitizer and we'll hold your hand and we'll walk with you through that moment. That's why the church is here. Our small group leaders met yesterday and we read a book called Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German theologian 
lived in intentional community, and ultimately died at the hand of Nazis as part of the resistant church. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer's main point in his article that we read yesterday was this, how good and beautiful it is for God's people to dwell together. This place, this place and these people and you that are online, this is a blessing because amongst each other, we can all together experience dying with Christ and being buried with him in baptism and then being resurrected to walk in newness of life. That's why we baptize you in front of everybody. I've had people ask, can I be baptized all by myself? No! I mean, will I do it if you suffer from severe anxiety or problems that are mental health related? Yes. But if you're just kind of timid, no. Because it encourages us to see people say that they're dying and then rising again because that's the Christian testimony. That's our witness. It's all we got. You take that away, we're nothing. We're a social club. We're not even a very good social club. There's no pool tables here. <laughs> you take away Christ. You take away death and resurrection. You take away the gospel. We're wasting our time. Paul says as much, and I believe it. So if you haven't died, will you do it? Because I promise you, you're going to do it anyway one day. You might as well get it over with now so that in Christ, your name is written in the book of life. And we, who have also died, can be with you as you are resurrected. Lord Jesus, now is a time of decision. I don't know who needed to hear what in this sermon today. I know what I needed to hear. And Lord, would you take to my heart the scalpel that's necessary to cut off these clingy bits of the old man that I simply cannot get rid of under my own power. Holy Spirit, purify me. But there's others in here that I believe have done a pretty good job of sloughing off that dead skin on the outside, but have never yet died. Have never yet said, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. I am dead in my trespasses and sins. And so I need to be buried with you in your death, Lord Jesus, and being covered by your blood. Lord God, would you see me as holy? And may I walk a new life in you. If that's you, this is a time of great joy. If you're at home, if you're in this room, and for the first time ever, you've really said, this is the time. We want to celebrate with you. We don't, we don't want to tear you down because for 20 or 30 or 50 years, you've been pretending to be a Christian, but you've never really done it. You've never really died and accepted that Jesus is Lord. We're not here to mock you for how long you've been a fake Christian. We're here to love you and rejoice with you that your name is written in that wonderful book of life. If you're here to say, I can't get rid of this dead skin, Pastor Ben, I can't get rid of this dead part of me that just needs to go. I'm not here to make fun of you. Nobody is here 
to, to say, well, why can't you just fix it? What's wrong with you? Nobody's here to say that. Lord Jesus, we want to celebrate with people today their freedom in Christ. When the old has died and the new is living, when the dead man is gone and the new one is living, that is only a time of celebration and gracious freedom and a new life. That's only joy. Lord Jesus, I pray that in this room there would be people who experience that new life for the first time. Or if they've been battling some infection that's been keeping their new life from really living, that you would take that away from them right now. Have them lay it down at the altar and recognize that it too was buried with Christ in his death. Lord Jesus, I believe there are people in this room who have been buried in the spiritual baptism, but have never shown the world that they have accepted the death of Jesus Christ and identify with that and now walk in a new life. I pray that you would convict them that their testimony has validity and we want to hear it and we want to see it because great is the rejoicing in heaven and great is the rejoicing in this room. My brothers and sisters, I'm going to just have a seat over here. And if you want to pray today, if you want me to pray for you that you would experience the spirit cutting out those parts of you that you still cling to or if you are ready to rejoice because you have died with Christ and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life I'm going to sit over here if you just want to come and sit silently and not share anything I'm going to sit over here for that too and I'll pray for you as well whatever the case may be don't wait don't wait until some other day. Don't wait to take up your cross. Jesus said daily. Do it now. Do it now. Because we're not promised tomorrow. And so rather than wait until you actually experience death, would you die today in Christ? Amen. Out of my bondage, sorrow and night Jesus I come, Jesus I come Into thy freedom, gladness and light Jesus I come to thee Out of my sickness and into thy health Out of my wanting and into thy wealth Out of my sin and into thyself Jesus I come to thee out of my shameful failure and loss Jesus I come Jesus I come into the glorious gain of thy cross 
Jesus, I come to Thee. Out of earth's sorrows and into Thy balm. Out of life's storms and into Thy calm. Out of distress into jubilant song. Into I come to Thee. Out of unrest, out of unrest and arrogant pride, Jesus, I come, Jesus, I come into thy blessed will to abide, Jesus, I come to thee. Oh, and out of myself to dwell in thy love, out of despair into raptures above forever like wings like a dove jesus i come to thee i come to thee out of the fear and dread of the tomb Jesus, I come, Jesus, I come into the joy and light of thy home. Jesus, I come to thee. Oh, and out of the depths of ruin untold, into the peace of thy sheltering fold, ever thy glory. Jesus, I come to Thee. Oh, Jesus, I come to Thee. Oh, Jesus, I come to Thee. I'm going to read for you this benediction out of Hebrews. And then the band... I'll ask to just kind of keep playing for a little while. If you want to visit in here, that's fine. If you want to visit in the hallway, I'll be over here and would be happy to pray with you. If you are ready to make a decision, if you have made a decision, if you're ready to have that part of you cut out that you've been struggling with so long, I'll have some of my elders over here as well, and they'd be happy to pray with you. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. And if you're online and you want to talk, we're here. Amen. Have a blessed week.